Have you ever known anybody who was big on making entrances? It was just something that they liked to do. They liked to be the center of attention, or they liked to uh, they liked to make a grand entrance. You know, there's people out there. It's funny that they they would almost purposely be late to a gathering, and they do it for the sake of being. Kind of like the star entry entrance. Uh, when somebody walks in, it's like, oh, this grand excitement of, of uh, rather than everybody getting there on time, somebody comes in a little late, so that way they could get the uh, the reaction from the people on all how happy they were to see them. Well, nobody makes an entrance better than our Lord and Savior, but you see, he wasn't the one who does that kind of stuff. He deserves it, but you know, our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus, did it with did it with perfection. He did it with class. And so we're going to see that today. We're going to be in in the part 2 section of Luke chapter 19 as we see this this triumphal entry that our Lord makes because again, he is the center of attention. He's he's the exception and the rule. But the funny thing was, is he was never known to be late. He was always right on time, as he should be, right? The Lord Jesus Christ came when he was supposed to. He died when he was supposed to. And, and this triumphant entry was right exactly when he was supposed to. Everything was right as it should be. And so we take this, we're going to look at this, we're going to look at this uh, chapter 19, this part 2. We're going to be looking at his entry here. And... I want to make it known that as as he made the entry into into Jerusalem there he did it so that way we can have an entry as well an entry into heaven and it's amazing that our Lord and Savior who came and lived such a simple life, who who, who was so simple in, in his demeanor, he was so humble in his presence, never really got the attention that he deserved. But he never brought it upon himself, and that's the amazing thing about him. He deserves the utmost of praise. He deserves the utmost of our glory. But the amazing thing about him is is that he did everything he's doing here so that way we could experience that glory. We could experience what it is that he came for. A place to be prepared for us. And so... I want to make sure that this chapter 19 is recognized in where it should be. The recognition, the recognition of him getting full glory. Us recognizing what he did 2,000 years ago as we, look pa- as we look back at this day of what we're going to be reading, that it, it doesn't fade, it doesn't go away. It wasn't just like, okay, we read the story, it was a good, it was a good read, but man, we are looking at this as if we should be celebrating it right now as we speak. Just as they did 2,000 years ago. And so, I want us to take a look at chapter 19. We're going to be looking at verses 28 through 35. And it says, And when he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass, when he drew near to Bethpage and, and Bethany at the mount, mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples 
saying, Go into the village opposite you, where as you enter you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, Because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it, just as he had said to them. But as they were as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, Why are you loosening the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of him. And then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. Now, in the previous chapter, in the previous earlier verses of chapter 19, we've seen our Lord hanging out with this man by the name of Zacchaeus, who was the chief of all the tax collectors. And all the people questioned, or not the people, but the, the leaders, the Pharisees, they all questioned. They questioned him on why he would do such a thing. And, and yet, the Lord went ahead and set them straight with yet another parable. The parable of the Minas. Which was, which was uh, basically um, currency and weight and money. On, on stewardship. And so today, we're looking at the triumphal entry as what we know and celebrate as Palm Sunday. As the Lord Jesus made his way into this village, okay? The prophecy of Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, and he is just. Having salvation, lowly, riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And as this was in Zechariah, the Lord fulfilled this 500 years later. And there's an old saying that timing is everything. And when it comes to God's timing, it is everything because it's exact and it is never late. But during this time, it is a week before that he is to be crucified. As he knew the time and knew what was to come exactly the day and hour of his crucifixion, and and now as we're reading Luke's account of this, I will also refer to the Gospel of Mark as it gives some insight of what people were doing there. But in the form of timing, the Lord had made his presence known over a period of three years. And in that three years, he had healed the sick, he made the blind to see, he healed the incurable disease of leprosy, and he also displaying many other miracles for once that we see in the Gospels uh, where the Lord will be recognized in the form of worship and recognition, as he should. And we've observed many times where the Lord healed someone, and they went their way after what they got, they, after what they got they needed, you know, they, they went away. And from what we can see in the scriptures... That's what we've seen. Most of the time, they got what they needed and went away. But on this occasion, we will see the recognition of his messianic presence from the people and what they were trying and what they were crying out to him. See, but at this point, the Lord was very well known now and and on who he was and what he has done. And I find it a blessing to see that when the disciples went and loosened up the donkey that belonged to someone else, the owner actually asked, well, what are you doing? And they said that the Lord needs it. It would be like in our day and age going onto a car lot and, and taking a car and the owner comes out and asks, what are you doing? And you tell him, hey, the Lord needs it. And he says, well, here's the keys. <laughs> the Lord himself riding on your donkey that was that was one blessed donkey okay I would have to I would have loved to have been its owner a king riding on a donkey then was a it was a sign of peace and and when they rode into town 
uh, on a donkey versus a king who com- comes in on a horse, which means that there was a sign of war or a uh, victory in conquering when a king rode in on a horse. That's the difference. He came in on a donkey. Now, but what we see in the book of Revelation, towards the end of uh, the end of time, there of our time here, and and we see the Lord returning. He returns on a white horse. So at this time, he's coming in on a donkey, but he's coming back on a white horse, according to the book of Revelation. But right now, he comes in humility and in love. See, there was there was no stallion, there was no decoration of clothing on the horse, there was no armor. Just the clothes of the disciples on the donkey used as a saddle. And, you know, the Apostle Paul in Philippians reminds me of his description of Jesus in chapter 2, verse 7, um, that he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. But, but in verse 10 and 11 it says that the name of Jesus that every knee shall bow of those in heaven and of those of earth and those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Now, as it was a blessing to see this act of the people in this chapter, it was also hard to see that going through the Gospels, we see that our Lord received at times such harsh, react, harsh reactions for doing good. Okay, and, and so, but as I taught the books over the years, it is, it is the only area where there was collective worship amongst the people during his time on earth in this Palm Sunday chapter. But you see, what a graceful Lord we have to still come to them, right? And that's the thing. We still have a graceful Lord that we could come to. In verse 36 to 40, it says, And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. And then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in the heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now, looking at the other Gospels, you know, Luke is in the, uh, Luke is the one record, who records the Pharisees complaining from the crowd to silence the people calling out in the name of the Lord to save us, to save us now, which is they were crying out Hosanna. And this was collective praise in, in which the Lord did not normally receive. You know, they, they were looking for a deliverer from Roman oppression. And it was as if they wanted him for a national political savior versus a spiritual savior and the Messiah in which he was. The Pharisees were angry because not just their it wasn't just their popularity was being uh, was being showed to Jesus now, but the one thing that really got to them was their power being on the focus of the Lord, who they questioned and challenged every chance they got. See, I never heard of the ancient day red carpet treatment of a Pharisee that the Lord, you know, received. I have never heard the vocal response toward a Pharisee to save us, Hosanna in the highest. I've never seen in the scriptures or in history of clothes being laid on the ground for a Pharisee as they passed by in the cities. And, and if it happened by chance, then it was done in false vanity of a religious leader. But we... But what we do is we have the accounts from the eyewitnesses of the arrival of the Savior 
the laying down of the palm branches, which was mentioned in the other Gospels. It was the representation of righteousness in the palm tree in Israel, love and respect of laying down their coats on the ground, which was absolutely amazing. See, in the palm trees in, the, in Israel, there was a, when you look at a palm tree, it's a representation of righteousness. But unfortunately, it was, it was to be short-lived because a week later, the people would be yelling to crucify him as he would be on trial to be hung on a cross. People then seem to be really no different. We don't get what we want, so we want to see them punished to the fullest extent. But he knew what was truth and what was not. He, he made known that they, they, hey, even if they, if they keep silent, that even the stones would cry out. And I'm sure they appreciated hearing that, as prideful as they were being the Pharisees. <laughs> but even King David knew in the Psalms, the power towards the worship of the Lord. Psalm 96, verse 11 through 13, it says that, Let the heavens rejoice and the earth be glad. Let the sea roar in all of its fullness. Let the field be joyful and all that's in it, and then all the trees of the woods will rejoice before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth, and he shall judge the world with righteousness and, and the people with his truth. And even that of the stones was part of his creation, okay? Now, along everything else we see around us, that even those things will recognize his presence, is what he said. After all, we've seen in the Gospels that when they were uh, on the Sea of Galilee, the storm, uh, the violent storm hit them as they were in the boat. And, and they were crying out that it was going to destroy them as the Lord was asleep in the boat. And they woke him up and cried out to him, and he stood up and he said, Peace, be still. And the storm stopped. So the response was, who is this that even the wind and sea obey him? Was their question. And looking at this passage reminds me of the importance of worship and recognition. You know, he was probably remembered for all the things he did for some there, and some were recognizing uh, just who he was. But yet today for us, who have not seen him in person, as they did 2,000 years ago, uh, how do we celebrate him today? You know, we, we worship him and celebrate him because he sees us and hears us. We worship, celebrate, and believe in him so we can, so we can one day see him. <laughs> that's the, that's the big purpose there. Now as we continue, we're going to be looking at verse 41 to 44. And it says, now as he drew near, he was, he saw the city and he wept over it saying, If you had known even you especially in this, in this your day the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. The Lord, as he looked toward Jerusalem, had a, he had a realization of what was to come to this holy city years later. To the point of making him cry and weep, as of someone who lost a dear loved one. That's how it's put here. You know, he knew that, he knew what was coming to them, and what was the result of rejecting him as their Messiah. 
You know, other prophecies also prophesied this hundreds of years before this event, which was the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in 70 AD by the Romans. It was one of the most horrific massacres and and, and the form of siege warfare that they had ever seen. But it was prophesied that they would that they would even cannibalize their own young as they were trapped in their homes in the city with no means of buying or growing food. Uh, the temple and their main pl- uh, place of worship will be destroyed for a second time. And it is what we know now is, is the Wailing Wall, which is the west wall of the temple that was left there. It's where the Jews would go and pray to this day in remembrance. So if you've ever seen pictures or gone to Israel and you see the Jews praying on the, on the wall there, which is called the Wailing Wall, that is the west wall of what was left over of the temple that hadn't fallen. Now imagine having children and, and knowing that they are making a grave mistake by rejecting your love. Rejecting your protection and guidance to pursue a life of destruction because they rejected you. And I've said before, having children gave me a better understanding of how the Lord works. And when I look at my own and think about those things, it is crushing to the heart. Imagine the people you love the most, who you were there to help and save, to give an eternal place with you in heaven, and to hear them say, crucify you. Looking into the lens of the Lord versus just reading about it and closing the book does something to the spirit. The Lord did not want to see judgment on anyone as he displayed the heart of of God right then and there. It is our personal choice to receive him or deny him. And just as then as we do now, the choice remains. We, We either choose to believe or not to. Some choose to believe in his existence but do not want to be a part of him because it would mean that they would have to stop doing the things that they uh, that were destructive uh, to themselves or others. And if you'd only known, even you, especially in this day, the things that make for your peace, he says. You know, it is a remark of truth and warning as the name of Jerusalem actually means the city of peace. And this was his own people, the children of God as a chosen nation, choosing to reject the Messiah. As many still do worldwide, but many worldwide are receiving him still. And that is through the power and the glory of the Lord. He had to endure the pain of those who rejected, but was able to receive others with joy and gladness. And he wants all from around the world in which he created, Jew or Gentile, which is anyone who is not Jewish. If you ever hear the term Gentile, it means that you're just not Jewish. You could be from somewhere else. don't matter where you're a Gentile. But again, it doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or Gentile. What matters is, is that you are saved. Eternal life is given at our reach, but there must be a will to receive it. He gives us multiple opportunities, but like the, like the reason Jesus wept for Jerusalem, he grieves for many now because there comes a time when the train will move on and not make another stop near you. He knew the destruction to come and the deal, and the details, but again, God is just in all things. And when someone receives the Lord as their Savior, All of heaven is rejoicing just for you. A party is being thrown in your honor that you had actually made it. Can you fathom that, right? Just you. Ordinary old us, you know, giving our lives to the Lord. And and just knowing, even though we couldn't see it or hear it, but it would be glorious just to know and to hear that 
all of heaven is singing praises because you said, I receive the Lord. Let's check out and as we end here in verse 43 to 48. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surrounding you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you under the ground and they will not leave in, in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Then he went out to the temple and began to drive out those who, who uh, bought and sold in it saying to them, It is written, My house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, of, uh, or the leaders of the people sought to destroy him, and were unable to do anything, for all the people were very attentive to hear him. You know, now as he comes into Jerusalem, he witnesses what's going on at the temple. But again, as we observe other Gospels, it was noted that he seen uh, uh, businesses being set up in the outer courts. And this is where merchants and money changers were selling and ripping off people uh, for sacrificial animals. It is the one part in the Gospels where the Lord got angry and took action as he turned over the money tables and chased out uh, the corrupt business merchants selling sacrificial, uh, sacrificial doves and other items as he said that my house is a house of prayer and you make it into a den of thieves. The merchants were doing business in the outer courts where the Gentiles would come to worship and not long ago I actually did a Palm Sunday service and I looked through the Gospel of Mark and it said that he came to inspect the temple, which was to make sure that continual holiness was being pursued. But to his finding, he found the opposite. And then the Pharisees, they, que they questioned him on what authority does he have to do such things. But if, if anything, the Pharisees should have been keeping the merchants from the temple since they were such zealous, law-abiding leaders who portrayed images of holiness. <laughs> you know, the Lord has always cleaned things up. He cleansed the temple of a spiritual disinfecting of hypocrisy that the religious leaders should have helped chase the merchants off, but, but they didn't. But it wasn't just the Pharisees who hated the Lord. It was the scribes, the priests, the Sadducees. The Sadducees were caretakers of the temple. Uh, they didn't like him either. And it, but it's amazing. They didn't like each other. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they didn't like one another because they had different belief systems. Scribes were the ones who were the, the writers of the law. They were the ones who were writing down the laws and so on and so forth, keeping those. And at times they would also teach, but also different in their beliefs and duties. The only time they would unite was in the removal of Christ in their attempts. That's the only time they would come together. But they failed on numerous occasions. But what was neat to see was one of the reasons they failed being was that he sought after by many to hear the teaching of the Messiah. You know, the Lord. The Lord knew his time was near to die for the sins of the world and he, he didn't do what Jonah the prophet attempted to do by sailing across the world to escape. His destination, you know, in his destination Jesus went straight in. But while there, he did as much as possible. We, we see that he healed a blind man before, before even arriving in the town. He, he cleansed the temple and he taught daily while still there. 
The Lord is truly good, is he not? And I will continue to repeat myself in this, that some people who know of the Lord can tell you what he did 2,000 years ago. But those who walk with him can tell you what he did then, 2,000 years ago, and they can tell you what he's doing right now as we speak. The question is, is how would you like to be one of those, the ones who can tell others about what he's doing right now, instead of just 2,000 years ago? We, we can suffer from the, the things of the past. Or we can rely on Christ to give a future and a hope, because every day is a new day unto the Lord. See, I, like millions of others, are just ones who can speak of his grace and mercy. It's not my biblical credentials, my degrees and certifications, but simply through the connection with the Lord that I have the ability to speak such things. That is where the connection really comes in. It's because of that I do what I do for his glory and whatever he allows me to do. And if you feel led, you can have that same thing. You can have that same opportunity. You receive him as Lord and Savior. And if you receive him as Lord and Savior, he receives you as his own. And then after that, like a plant that's planted in good, in, in good ground, watering and care and living in light is needed in order to grow and to start to produce something. So I pray first and foremost that you receive the Lord first. There's a lot of people who could read the Bible. There's a lot of people who could make feeble attempts to, uh, to refute it. But to receive him, and then to read it and to know him through his word, is powerful amongst anything you've ever experienced. But you have to follow him, you have to receive him first. And then, as you go through the word, you will grow in him, and as you walk with him and pray to him, you will know him. Growing in him and knowing him, are the greatest things that we could accomplish in our lives. So I want to give the opportunity right now to give you that to give you that ticket if you will through a simple prayer. It's a prayer of receiving the Lord. If you do it in the truth of your heart, you could repeat after me. Dear God, please forgive me. Please forgive me of all of my sins, Lord. For I am a sinner. And Lord, I receive you, Lord, into my heart, Father. And I thank you for dying on the cross, Lord Jesus. Dying for my sins. And Lord, I ask you to cleanse me of all of my sins, Father. Lord, that I would walk with you for the rest of my days. And Lord, when my time is up, I will be in your presence by you accepting me, Father. So I receive you now as my Father, my Lord, and my Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, again, decisions are made every single day. And not every decision is a good one. I'm sure we could all attest to that. But if you made this decision, 
Well, you've made the greatest decision that you could ever make in your life. You know, when you wake up each morning and you figure out what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, what you're going to do, well, none of those will compare to the, the decision you made right now. The decision to one day wake up in God's eternal glory. May God bless you.